Good morning. I'll be sharing today's scriptures with you. The first one is in Isaiah chapter 40, the first 11 verses, and it's on page 1119 in your pew Bible if you'd like to read along. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make valley, I'm sorry, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass. Their faith field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fail. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And our New Testament scripture is found on page 1551 in your pew Bible. It's the book of Mark, the first chapter and the first eight verses. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. <laughs> and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thus ends the reading. May God add his blessings to this and may we hold it in our hearts. 
You know, Steve, I think that yum is, uh, I must have missed that in the original Greek. I'm pretty sure the Greek is yuck. Friends, would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we come into your presence and we seek a word of peace today. Lord, with so much chaos and unrest and violence and hatred and division around us, as we're in a season that we remember that you came into the world as the Prince of Peace and you will come one day again as the Prince of Peace. May we live as your peaceful people in this world. But Lord, fill us up. Give us strength for the long journey of peace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in English literature courses as an undergraduate, one of the things that we would study was the opening line of some famous literary works. Because an opening line can set up everything that is to follow. There's a few that are favorites of mine. Perhaps you know where they come from. My favorite American novel, Call Me Ishmael. Moby Dick. How about this one? It was the best of times, it was the worst. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. Charles Dickens, A Tale of Two Cities. Or this one. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune is in want of a wife. A plus for the music director. One of my favorite novels by Kurt Vonnegut. All of this happened, more or less. How about this? Favorite line by my favorite living author, Stephen King. The man in black. Wow. An opening line can set you up, can it? It can hook you. It can grab you. It can set the tone and the pace for everything that is to follow. Because in essence, those three lines, those three words rather, that begin Moby Dick... Everything that follows unpacks it, if you've read that book. Call me Ishmael. Same with Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and Kurt Vonnegut, Stephen King. The Gospel of Matthew is no different. Listen again to the very beginning, the first verse of Mark. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In that handful of words, he's going to spend 16 chapters unpacking and expanding and expounding upon those few words. When you hear these words, what do you think? The beginning. There's another famous part of the Bible that begins with that, in the beginning. The beginning. The beginning of the good news. The good message about Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God. I was spending a little time this week with a spiritual mentor of mine, and we were going through the book of Mark together. And there's an urgency to Mark's writing. In just a few verses, Mark starts at the beginning with a prophecy from Isaiah, goes to John the Baptist goes to the baptism and the temptation of... where Matthew and Luke take chapters to get there. They give 
the genealogy and the birth story and they give lots of detail about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Mark flies right through it and he gets right to this proclamation that Jesus makes in verses 14, 15, and 16. He begins his ministry and he says, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. That, that first verse of Mark, what is Mark saying? I want his readers then and now to take from this. What is he setting up? What is to come? In the beginning, what happens in the beginning? Put your Bible caps on, go back to Sunday school, think of Genesis chapter 1. Beginning, out of the black nothingness, God brings order. His spirit hovers over it. And things, creative things start to happen. Perhaps Mark is telling us the beginning. Let's try to put ourselves in the context of Jesus, or rather of Mark's original audience. When there was good news announced in the ancient world, do you know what it would have been? When there was good news, a good announcement, usually it had to do with a conquest. And it was applied to a general of the Roman army or to Caesar himself. That something had happened. And there would often be heralds who would go out ahead and who would make this announcement. There would be trumpets and fanfare. So something is happening. The beginning of the good news. This good announcement that has implications for all the people. About Jesus. You see, he's right. And yet over and over again we see in the Gospels that Jesus looks and acts so differently, so counter, so contrary to what so many of the people were anticipating and expecting that they don't see him for who he is. This anointed one, this one set apart, but son of God. Now, that title, we tend to spiritualize these things away as we read them. And certainly it has that meaning for sure. But in the ancient God was applied to someone. Do you know to whom it was applied? Caesar, the emperor. He is. He was inerrant. He was the man to whom everyone must bow and offer their fealty and allegiance. And so when Jesus comes on the scene in Mark, writing roughly 35, 40 years after the life, death, and resurrection, is calling him God. And we read these verses and we think, oh, that's a wonderful you know, theological title. To assert in Mark's day... That Jesus was the Son of God in most quarters of the Roman Empire was to sign off on your death sentence. Because to say that Jesus is the Son of God necessarily implied that Son of God. And that was a capital offense. You perhaps can start to see some of the anointed one, but not just the anointed one, the Son of God. And then Mark introduces us to this man. 
Now the thing I love about this rendering of John the Baptist, what strikes you about this painting? The thing that strikes me is what do you see in the very center of that painting? finger not pointing to himself but pointing away from himself to Jesus John the Baptist this sort of bridge figure he's kind of an old testament prophet he has the he has the look in the diet that's for sure yum locusts and wild honey he's off in the desert and he's talking Perhaps some of the religious leaders then felt it was more like he was ranting and raving about this one who was coming. And he was trying to prepare them. There's an urgency to John the Baptist's message, a singular purpose. He, everything that he does and all that's recorded for us across the four Gospels, he points away from himself. Everything about Mark's Gospel. I encourage you, spend time over this season of Advent and dig into Mark's Gospel. It's the first recorded Gospel we have. And everything about it, from its literary style and its writing to its characters, order out of chaos. We long for some good news, some good announcements. The new, pointing to Jesus. To be just like John the Baptist. To urgently proclaim that there's someone coming. And to make all of our lives, all that we do, about that singular focus, about that finger pointing away from us to someone else. Because the days are drawing shorter. The world around us needs what only Jesus can bring. And Jesus is still looking for people who will be caught up and the sense of urgency, and make their lives all about the only one who can save and restore and make us new. Friends, may your life and may my life be all about announcing Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen.